the late Bishop Lockett used to say this, God never ends on a negative, always on a positive. So it ain't over. It ain't over. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And God, thank you for an attitude to know it ain't over. Lord, despite how things may sometimes feel in our lives, how we may face circumstances that just seems like our back is against the wall. But Lord, it ain't over. It ain't over because, Lord, it's not over until you declare it's over. Not until you say it's finished. And we thank you and we honor you that it's not finished until we win in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. It ain't over. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. I think he said it ain't over. It took his wives, his kids, don't got all of his stuff, and they read to stone him. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord because he knew it ain't over. See, you can find encouragement when you know it ain't over. It ain't, this ain't the end. May feel like it, but it ain't the end. Feel like what I'm dealing with in my body, it ain't the end. It ain't over. Saints, I believe that. I don't believe it's just a song. <laughs> I'm serious. You gotta have some fight in you. I, I believe that. Ready to quit and roll over and call it a day? It ain't over. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, I, I'm not going to be before you very long. I don't think. <laughs> you know, preachers love to say that. Then they got about three, four closes, so you know how that go. But I, I do just want to share a thought, a couple thoughts with you, actually, uh, around this one central thought. Um, I want to talk about the radical nature of the kingdom of God. The radical nature of of the kingdom of God. I am um, really humbled when you think of what God has done for us. Amen. And look at the backdrop of everything. So I, I want to share something with you. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. I want to just take a little, little look at that for a moment, and then we're going to go into something. And when we're looking at Matthew 4 and 17, this is Jesus coming on the scene and he's, he's, he's starting to express what his intent or his purpose is. So it becomes um, his mission, if you will. And it's all, it's all caught up in this. He says, the Bible says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, it's interesting because the Bible talks about from that time. So it lets you know it was, some, it was some circumstances or events, both historical and chronological, that had taken place that were key then. So I want to take that thought and, and kind of run with this a little bit. Uh, like I said, it shouldn't be too long. So the first thing I want to do, my, my first point is, the kingdom of God was announced at the perfect time. You know, sometimes you could say the right thing 
at the wrong time. You, you know, we, we, my, my youngest daughter is here. We used to tease her when she was young because she couldn't keep a secret. You know, we, we, we want to do the birthday party for somebody, and we told her, and she said, we're going to do a birthday party for you. She said the right thing at the wrong time. Sometimes you can say the right thing at the wrong time. But watch this. The kingdom of God was announced at the perfect time. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, I want you to think about something. Go to Galatians 4 and 4 of the New Living Translation. Let me show you why I'm saying this. Galatians 4 and verse 4. The King James speaks of the fullness of time. So it was, it was time that had been impregnated that was ready to deliver right now. So now in Galatians it says, but when the right time came. So all the other time wasn't the right time. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Verse 5. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So at the right time, this is what God did. So the announcement that Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, was at the right time. Some uh, scholars, some commentary, and even in some Bible colleges and seminary, depending on where you go, they speak of uh, a particular book, and it's the New Testament survey. It's a course you take in Bible college or in seminary. And in this particular course, it makes reference to this scripture, and it says it was the right time because the Romans had created infrastructure. They had roads that you could travel up and down. They had one common language, Koinonia Greek, which everybody was able to speak. So it was the right time to communicate everything that was going on. It was the right time to be able to get from point A to point B because you didn't have to worry about robbers and muggers and all of this because they had infrastructure. Well, that's a nice thought. But I believe in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16 lets us know why it was the right time, why it was the perfect time to communicate the gospel then. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, it says, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. It was the heart of man. It was ripe for the picking. We had come to the point in our lives where, so you have to understand something. In, in Daniel chapter 2, and we talked about this uh, on last week, where Nebuchadnezzar has the dream, and the dream is of the statue. The statue is gold and silver and bronze and iron, and the iron is mixed with clay, and with the iron, while it's mixed with clay, there's a rock that is hewn out of the mountain, but the rock is hewn with no hands, okay. without human hands. And this rock goes on to become a great kingdom. And we talked about that that was indicative of Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. The iron and the clay were intermingled. Watch this. The Romans were a nation, a government, 
so were the Jews. They were intermingled. If you remember, the Jews couldn't crucify Christ. They had to go to Pilate. There's the intermingling from Daniel. That was the prophetic word Daniel was giving you, letting you know that there was going to come a time where it would take two nations coming together and they wouldn't be strong enough, but there would be a rock hewn out of the mountain and it was cut not with human hands. And that that kingdom would grow on to become the kingdom over all the kingdoms. So it was at the perfect time. Are you with me? All right, just want to make sure we, we, we moving on. We moving on. Now, not only was it at the perfect time, but look at this. My second point. The access into the kingdom of God is radically different from religious expectations. The access into the kingdom of God is radically different from kingdom, ex- I mean, from religious expectations. What do you mean, Pastor? Now, we just talked about the intermingling of the Roman government. So you got Caesar who's in charge, uh, and then you've got the high priest Caiaphas. You've got two different governing authorities. Uh, you've got the religious individuals who are saying, this is the way things need to be done. Uh, You've got the Roman government saying this is the way things need to be done. But on the scene comes Jesus saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is this? And then he goes to let us know that the interest or the access into the kingdom of God is radically different than the religious. Wait a minute. The religious people? Listen to this. He says... In Matthew 4 and 17, King James Version. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So from that time forth, that particular time, that perfect time, Jesus says, repent. Repent. It means to change one's mind for better. So Jesus says, change your mind for what's the best. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The old religious way of doing things is gone. So he comes with a radically new concept for everybody. Oh, y'all making me work today. Okay. Let me show you how radical this is. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, New Living Translation. You have to understand, most of us are, are familiar with Jesus in the New Testament, and we see things. You know, it's, it's, it's important that not just getting the miracle, but getting the message behind the miracle. Yes. 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 Jesus was not, uh, notable in the miracles he did, but oftentimes people would miss the messages. For instance, you, you are aware of him feeding the 5,000. It's a wonderful thing. It was at least five. The Bible talks about 5,000 men. So that wasn't counting women and children. So you got two loaves of bread and five fishes and you feeding all of these folks. And later on, the disciples who experienced the miracle missed the message. Often like us. We got the miracle, but missed the message. 
What are you saying? See, when Jesus came on the scene, when he was saying, repent, change your mind for what's best or change your mind for the better, which is the kingdom of God. You have to understand. He was saying you you can bypass all of this other religious stuff. It's not about the sacrifices. It's not about dragging these bulls and bullocks and, and, and rams and all of this stuff to the altar. He says, I'm the perfect sacrifice. He says, I want you to repent now. I want you to change your mind for what's best. So he says in Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, in the New Living Translation, it's said like this. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you understand how radical this is? It doesn't matter who's the high priest anymore. It doesn't matter. You don't have to go to somebody else now to get them to pray for you now. You don't have to worry about somebody else going into the presence of God for you because now you can go. What a radically different concept. Because he's coming to a group of people who for all of their lives have been taught that, listen, you got to make sure you, you, you get pure on the day of atonement. You got to make sure that you make your offerings, your sacrifices. You got you to keep yourself clean from dead bodies. You don't want to touch anything that's vile. You want all of these rules and regulations. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, you know what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What a radically different concept into the kingdom of God. So it didn't matter. Watch this. It didn't matter that you didn't know all the scriptures. Didn't matter that you wasn't groomed in the, the religious right, if you will. But can you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? That's the criteria. Because what God was saying, he says, listen, look at this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, he says, now this is the way it works. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. That is a radical, I mean, mean, the whole concept, now it's what you believe. Oh, I didn't have enough turtle doves to make it to the offering. I, I didn't, my, my ox wasn't big enough. You know, I, I, you know, I couldn't get all my stuff to, to, to come all the way to Jerusalem. No, no, no. That don't matter. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? That he was buried? That he rose again on the third day? Then you will be saved because now it's about what you believe. It's about trusting God with your soul. Not about you making your own works for salvation. A completely radically different change. It exceeded all of the religious expectations. You know, one of the interesting things, too, and I'm going to just digress just for a moment. The most, the people who got the most upset about Jesus was religious people. The common everyday man was not upset because they seen a way being made for them that had never been made before. But the religious folk, they got upset. Because you mean to tell me the system 
that I've been a part of all my life, that I've been groomed in, that I've been taught how to handle. You mean to tell me that you're going to bypass everything that I've learned in this system? So they became upset. You look, they're the ones who said, crucify him, crucify him. The Romans may have done the actual execution, but you best believe that the Jews was like, hey, let's do it. It's our idea. So I'm just saying, you know, be careful sometimes the religious folk. Hallelujah. You know, and, and the word religion is, is so interesting. It comes from the word, listen to this. It means to bind again. That's what religion means. See, Jesus was not religious. He's relational. That's where we get it wrong. If there's one thing that I really believe that sometimes the church misses, it's relationship. The Bible says, know those that labor amongst you. How is it that we can come into whatever sanctuary, raise our hands, give God praise, but can't speak to one another? Where is the relational part? How can you pray one for another and you don't know the other? How can I be my brother's keeper and I don't know my brother? See, New Testament has always been relational. That, that's, that's why, you know, and even, and I'm just, like, like I said, maybe I'm digressing for a moment, but just allow me that, just, just, just for a moment. Even when we get into these things about titles and all of this, you know, you, you, you know in heaven ain't nobody going to call you by your title. You, you do know that, right? I, I mean, minister plumber. Watch this. You, you think what I'm saying is, watch this. I'm going to show you something. Now, everybody just relax. Now, now watch this. The light going to come on when I say this. When God talks to you, does he call you by your title or your name? I rest my case. Because the, the titles are stuck. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. This is what titles are for. Titles show you function. What are you supposed to do? My title. So if I told you I was the CEO of company XYZ, you automatically understand my function in that company. But when you see me out on the street, you don't go CEO so-and-so. You know that that's my title, which relates to my function. So now, if we out fishing together, you ain't saying CEO so-and-so. CEO. If you're doing it, I'm looking at you like, can you please stop? Get off the boat right now. Go back. But see, in church, sometimes we lose that. We lose the fact that we can relate to people outside of titles because, see, sometimes people seek titles and not relationships. It ain't just in church, but I'm just, just trying to keep it here since y'all here, you know. <laughs> since you here. All right, let me, let me go on. Let me go on. I know I digressed a little bit there. Just want to say, we, see, we're made, work, we're made right with God by the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is a radically different concept when it comes to accessing the kingdom of God. 
You are made right by trusting Christ. Now watch this. So it replaces all of our works. You know, people say, well, you know, if I do enough good, I'm going to go to heaven. one, one, One question. How do you know you've done enough? See, what, what, where's your measuring stick? See, that, that whole concept is, is wrong because you don't even have a reference point for how much good it takes. But I can give you one. The reference point for how much good it takes to get in heaven is Calvary. That's how much good it takes. It takes Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life to die on our behalf, to be buried, and for God to raise him from the dead. That's how much good it takes. And none of us are that good, so the only way we make it is by trusting his finished work. Well, 2 Corinthians 4 and 13. Let me just tie this up here. Probably I'm almost finished. This one's when we look at what Jesus was saying when he came on the scene, it's just so radically different from religious expectations. That's why religious people get upset. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 13, the Bible says, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. In other words, you say what you believe. That's why you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The reason you're saying it or confessing it is because that's what I believe. See, if I don't believe it, I ain't going to say it. See, that's why it's so important. Watch what you say. That's why Jesus says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak it. Because the abundance of what's in my heart is what's going to come out of my mouth. Listen to this. If you hang around people long enough and let them talk, you'll find out what's in their heart. See, some of us, our problem is we're doing all the talking. Just be quiet and let people talk. You'll find out what, well, well, uh, you know where they're at, what they want, because you simply let them talk. It's going to let you know what's in their heart. That's why the Bible says even a fool is counted wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Sometimes just, shh, be quiet. I might say the holy hush. <laughs> My third point, we're going to get ready to go home. Listen to this. The kingdom announcement was made by the greatest spokesman in the world. The kingdom announcement was made by the greatest spokesman in the world. I want you to just think about that for a moment. You know, when you look at the, uh, I like to watch some of those old movies for, you know, like the King Arthur type movies and all that, because they have kings. Yeah, they have real, you know, the old, we, we don't, in America, we don't know much about that because, you know, after the Boston Tea Party and our rebellion against all of that, we wanted, we wanted to be free from the government being controlled by, uh, you know, well, the king and all of that kind of, we didn't want that monarchy stuff. And, and, and I'm, granted, I see, but there's some things that we can learn 
about in those medieval times to help us relate to a king. You know, you watch those movies and you ever, ever see, let me see if I could take y'all to one of these movies. I, nah, nah, I ain't no specific movie, okay? You know, so all y'all, just relax. But I, I, I love to see those movies when it's like, you know, the king is coming. And they send out the herald first. And the herald, you know, you got one of them long horns. And, you know, you got the little flag, on you, you know. And he, see that? Y'all seen the movies too? Y'all seen it? Yeah. The herald, his job is to announce the coming king. He is not the king, but he's announcing the coming king. So his whole job is announcing the king coming. He's coming. He's trying to get everybody prepared because the king is coming. Watch this. See, that's, it's so much that Jesus does that we miss. So look at this. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, New Living Translation. This is the, the, the Lord said this, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Now, you have to understand Malachi is the last book before the New Testament. 400 years of spiritual famine occurs. In other words, there's no word from the Lord for 400 years after the book of Malachi. But now let's do something else. God says, I'm sending you to prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Elijah is gone. He's, he's not on the scene. Probably some 600 years he's been gone. Look at verse 6. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So now, 400 years later, New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. Well, now Jesus is on the scene. Where's the Elijah? Where's the herald? Matthew chapter 17, verse 10 through 12, New Living Translation again. Now, his disciples have that question. Look at this. Then his disciples ask him, why do the teachers of religious law, who did I say get mad? He says, then his disciples ask him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? He said, wait a minute, we're seeing what you're doing and it's looking a whole lot like the Messiah, but the, the religious folk over here that's getting mad, they say, Elijah got to come first. So now, if, now if, if you, you, you know they know what's going on. You know they know the law. So now, Jesus, this is what they're saying. What we going to do now? Well, you know how Peter was already. I can handle this. Look at verse 11. Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready for the Messiah. 
Look at verse 12. But I tell you, watch this. Did you see? See, the, the, here, here's Jesus can talk now, in the past, and in the future in the same sentence. So he says, Elijah, now, now let's go back to verse 11. See if you got this. He said, Elijah is indeed coming. So you go like, okay, he ain't here. So, so, so watch this, you must not be the one, right? So he ain't here. So now let's go to verse 12. He said, but I tell you, he said, let me get it straight with you. Elijah has already come. You missed him. He says he's already come, but he wasn't recognized. You didn't recognize him for who he was. Wasn't that he wasn't coming. Wasn't that he wasn't here. It's that you didn't recognize him. See, the problem was with the recognition, not the person. He said he wasn't recognized and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the son of man suffer. So Jesus is talking to them about the past, the present, and the future in one sentence. Let me, let me see here. Boy, oh boy. I, I'm trying to, trying to stay focused here because I, I just want to run with this. So, so not, now watch this. Not only, not only is Jesus king of kings and lord of lords, but he was his own spokesperson. You have to understand what he said. I sent the herald, but y'all missed him. So I'm going to do better than that. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I got this. I'm going to let you know what's going on. Watch this. Go with me to Hebrews 4, verse 14 and 16, 14 through 16, and we will close out with this. See, I, I love what Jesus does for our sake. Because sometimes we're so religious we miss what he's really doing, what he's really saying. But he helps us by breaking things down. And see, I, I don't believe that, 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 just being honest, I think sometimes make, people make uh, church and, and all of this kind of stuff so deep. Uh, you know, it's not like that. There's nothing deep about relationship. You, you know, it's becoming vulnerable with another person. That's why people don't want to, that's why people don't want relationship. Because it makes you vulnerable. You can't have relationship without being vulnerable. Okay, Jesus died for everybody's sins. You know that. Everybody. But do you know he know everybody won't have a relationship with him? How vulnerable is that to him being rejected? But you can't have relationship without being vulnerable. Now, watch this. So, Watch, it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now, now, now a high priest that is passed into heaven. So the scripture is making reference to Jesus being our great high priest. It didn't say, I want you to see something. It's not just a high priest. It's a great high priest. Because in the Old Testament and to the beginning of the New, they had high priest. They had the office of a high priest. 
and the high priest would make uh, sacrifices on behalf of the people once a year. This was his function or his job. But now what's being said is, notice, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now, that is passed into the heavens. No other high priest has gone into the heavens. The high priest of the Old Testament will go into the uh, holiest of holies and make an offering and will come back out if he was right. If he wasn't right, they'd pull him back out. It's the truth. So, we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens. He is Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Do that in the New Living Translation, please. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So it says, hold on to what you believe because of who's going into heaven on your behalf. Wait, just just wait a minute. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. So, who better to announce the kingdom than the king himself? I am... um, I'm originally from a town in Michigan. Um, If you've not been to my town and you try to describe my town to me, it may be difficult for me or anybody else to comprehend what you're saying. Because you're not from there. So now, if you're from there, now if I wanted to, you know, but Doug, you you, you and Aisha, y'all from Chicago, y'all up, you know, all the great Midwest. Now, could you, you know, you and Aisha, y'all think y'all can tell us how to get to Chicago? With, 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 with no real even thought, no, just, you can, just the way you get there. Because you're from there, you know what it's like, you know what you got to deal with, all of that. Isn't it amazing, Jesus didn't leave it up to somebody else to tell us what heaven is like. He announced the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? He's the one who, had, who, had, who has ascended into heaven. He's the one who had descended from heaven. So who better to tell us what the kingdom is like other than the king himself? See, sometimes we got to understand that God said, okay, y'all, 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 y'all missed the whole herald thing. You, you, you didn't get that. You missed it. He was trying to tell you that the king was coming. He was trying to let you know that I was coming on the scene. So I'm going to take it myself from here. I just want to make sure we're getting this. I'm almost finished. Just hang on. Almost. Almost. It's getting good. And I don't want to. It's getting good to me. So look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. Now. Just for a moment. I want you to think about something. Now, I'm not throwing off on anybody else. Well, I guess I am. So, when you look at other beliefs, other systems, other religions, how is your God so far up there that can't relate to you down here? Because I don't need anyone telling me how to live here and you've not experienced it. 
Oh, I'm being real. I, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of what I'm saying. I'm just trying to make sure you get it. Because some people are like, oh, oh. Well, no, no, no. Because you hear stuff and we... See, it's, it's time to be real about what we honestly believe. I don't want someone telling me about something that they not experienced. When I'm dealing with the trial of my life, when I'm going through the thing, I need to know that I have a high priest who understands my weaknesses. And why does he understand them? Because he faced all of the same testings we do, yet without sin. Do you want, okay, okay, okay. If, 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 you, if, if you own your job, whatever your job is, and they say, we're going to bring into your job, we're we going to bring the best, whatever your job may be, person in to possibly train you because we want you to be the best you can be. You're like, boy, I can't wait to get here. You know, they're going to really help enrich my life. Or they say, well, you know what? We got the worst person possible <laughs> for your position. And we want them to train you. Which one do you want? So you want the best. The one, you want the one who faced the things that you're going to go through. You want the ones that's going to learn how to handle all of them decisions that you're going to have to make somewhere in the future. You, you, want to be, you want to get a straight up download from them. Who's better than Jesus? Everything that you and I will ever face in this life, he's faced Every temptation you and I will ever be tempted with, he was tempted with it. So you have to understand that he understands you. He understands what you're going through when you don't, watch this, when you don't want to do what's right. Well, pastor, I don't know. How, how can you tell me that God understands what, what, when I don't want to do right? How could he possibly ever understand that? Well, I do believe that when you look in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 22, about verse 41, Jesus is in what's called the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, and he is uh, starting to pray. And in the course of him praying, he says something that's very interesting. Lord, this cup, in a, th- this whole cup thing here, it's a cup that's bothering me. Because I know what it requires of me. And I want to know, can I pass this cup on? I want to do what's right now. But I just want to know, is that an option? And he comes back and he says it like this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, sometimes you all, you have to understand, everything we've been tempted with, he's been tempted as well. Yet without sin. That's why, and, and you, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm closing. I'm, I'm closing. The thing is, don't get so caught up. We run from God. We should be running to God. The reason is he understands everything. Let, let me ask you, what you going to tell God that surprises him? God, I feel like slapping him. He said, yeah, I know. Like he didn't know that. Like he didn't know that. But he's the one who could give you the grace. In the, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait. You See, I, I, thank you, Holy Ghost. Somebody going like, how does he understand that? When they slapped him, what you think he felt like? 
when they spit on him, what you think he felt like? You're God and your creation doing you like that? But if he'd have thought it, if he'd have thought it, So if he has that kind of grace, that kind of power, what can he give you when you just feel like running somebody off the road? <laughs> See, that's what we need to tap into instead of running from God, acting like he don't know what we're dealing with. He know what it's like to live down here. Know what it's like to deal with folk to get on your nerves. <laughs> So y'all got me all out there. Let's see if I can pull this back in some kind of way now. Verse 16. And I'm, 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 I'm done with that. Verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I've learned to just tell God how you feel about stuff. Lord, I don't like it. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. You know, some things you just got to do for Christ's sake. (laughs) You got to take one for the team. (laughs) It it, it just, Lord, this is because of my love for you. Because if it wasn't for my love for you, Instead of running away from God, you all, we can choose now to run to him. Jesus made that way accessible. That's because he paid the price. So can't nobody else tell you you're not worthy of going. If God accepts you, who's going to reject you? Better yet, whose rejection matters? That's why we have to understand, run to God, not from God. Amen. Amen.